Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tech Bound, where I try to tickle deep insights and anecdotes out of the creme de la creme of the growth world. My guest today is story connoisseur, podcast host, and author Jay Aconzo. Jay is the founder of Unthinkable Media and host of marketing showrunners Unthinkable and Three Clips. He's also the author of Break the Wheel and the Creator Compass. What has this man not done? Jay and I speak about the content creation process, podcasting mistakes, and toward the end of the episode, Jay even coaches me through finding a good podcast premise. If you like this episode, consider rating it five stars or giving it a thumbs up. And either way, enjoy this episode with none other than Jay Akanzo. Three, two, one. Jay, good to have you on. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure. Jay, with with showrunners, what what prompted you to to create that and what's your mission? So for several years, I I was making shows for brands. So companies like uh, I did a 20-part docu-series with Drift, um, was coaching some companies behind the scenes. My favorite of all favorite projects was I did a pilot season of a of a video documentary. Um, with Help Scout about brands that are building against the grain. That's the name of the show, Against the Grain. And I was doing my best Anthony Bourdain impersonation. Anthony Bourdain meets business. He's my storytelling hero. So I got to go out in the field pre-COVID and actually do a documentary with like a full uh, team around me, a small team, a lean team. But n- nevertheless, I was, I, I was, it was more than just me working on that project, which also made it really rewarding. So for several years, that's what I was doing. I was hosting, writing, producing, shows for brands. And I just saw how important these vehicles are for helping companies make what matters and say what matters to their communities to have a higher impact and go deeper in a world trending shallow. Um, So whether it's podcasting or video, I felt the need to start teaching this. And so from three years doing it as more of a hired gun, hired freelancer, hired talent perspective, it turned into some of that Plus things like our course, we have eight-week intensives, like online workshops with folks, and I'm heavily involved live there in a way I'm not in the course. Um, And then we have a podcast, Three Clips, which actually we bring on other podcasters and they bring us inside their process, which is fascinating and I love it. It's like the nerdiest, most meta thing I've ever done, a podcast about podcasting. But I kind of liken it to Song Exploder meets Inside the Actor's Studio for podcasters if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm having a blast. And the mission is very simple. It's I want to help more creators find their voices and make what matters. And I think you know, hosting a podcast, having to show up consistently, having to try and figure out the parts and pieces that make a show an actual legitimate show um, or the same in video, that forces you to find and share your voice. And that leads to so often making something that truly deeply matters as opposed to yet another blog post of like 75 influencers on 2021 predictions or 600 tips and tricks for how to do some tactic that matters a little bit. Uh, Like there's enough of that in the world. So we can do things that matter more and that are more ambitious. So that's the stuff I want to do. And I want to teach people how to do it too. And and that really reflects in your content. Uh, I have to say, I read pretty much all the blog posts that you guys write on marketing shows. Thank you. Like, oh, I appreciate that. It's not something that I can say about a lot of sites, to be honest. But um, it, it one thing that, that truly comes across is that it doesn't feel in any way optimized or artificial. And I say that as an SEO, but it, it really always, it, it always hits problems or thoughts that I have. So one example, you mentioned something about uh, building... Um, anticipation in an interview and kind of opening all these loops and uh, having good openings and just in general. And it's such a, I actually never looked if people search for that on Google, but even just from an interest perspective, it's such, it's such helpful content. It was so tactical and actionable. How do you come up with these topics and how do you create content? That's well, thank, first of all, thank you for reading us. It's interesting that you're saying that we're kind of evolving our, our blog strategy at the moment. So it's, it's interesting uh, as a data point, let's say, but um how do we come up with it? I mean, I feel like the best marketing today is about participation, not promotion. And so I, I find it very difficult to not be part of the community, doing what the community is doing all the time, to also then effectively write things that they, they care about. Um, so for example, I could never go work for a company that sells, I don't know, financial technologies because I'm not like super interested in the stock market and, and the financial markets. Like it just doesn't interest me. I don't spend time there authentically, but I like to make podcasts. I like to think about story structure and story technique. 
I like to create things that feel a little bit different and hopefully refreshingly so um, than the status quo. Like all the things I'm writing about, I feel like to, to steal a phrase from one of my favorite bloggers, uh, Tim Urban of Wait But Why, fantastic blog and, and incredible writer. He, uh, I was fortunate to interview him and, and a couple of times get to talk to him for my book. And he has this awesome phrase, I write for a stadium of Tim's. So I'm writing for a stadium of me. Um, you might not share the same sensibilities in terms of humor or personal interests, but in terms of where you're trying to go and the belief system you have, especially as it applies to content creation and content marketing, I am thinking about writing stuff that lights me up. And I think in this world we live in today, if you do that, you'll find it lights up other people too, the right people that you'd like to serve. So I don't really have this like pithy tactic. I just like writing things that I would like to read because I just so badly want it to exist. And, and, and that, that definitely hits home. Um, and just a, um, kind of a quick outlook for the audience. You're actually going to help me as well with my podcast and my thoughts about yeah. uh, uh, the show in the future. But we first have a couple of questions to go through. So when it comes to um, just post podcasting in general, what are the biggest mistakes that you see most people make, say like the, the top three things? I think it, podcasting, video, all these things, we latch onto the container first. It's a podcast. It's a blog. It's video. And what really we should be focused on is the stuff inside, first and foremost. And the way you do that, and I'll use this applied to shows, but I think this applies to other stuff too. The way you do that is start thinking through like, what are the most important challenges and in what order to make something people truly love spend time with things that are in trust and love, and then they share and bring other people to us right, for free. Um, the first hurdle, again, I'll stay home to podcasting. You apply this as a listener where you will. The first hurdle to create an effective show is not which microphone will I use, which guests will I interview, or, and this is where marketers get held up way too much. The first hurdle is not, should I also put my podcast on YouTube? This is not the first challenge. The first challenge is to say something that matters. Like, do you actually have a premise for the show? Are you building IP? In other words, a proprietary concept that you can own outright in the minds of the audience because you can't own your audience. Spoiler alert, no matter how much we talk about that in marketing, you can't own your audience. You could own, however, a certain feeling or idea that when they encounter it in the world, they think of you, right? You can own that. And so you need IP, a proprietary concept, something original and transformative that becomes the thing you're all about. And if a competitor comes along and tried to do that, it'd be easy to see how they're copying you. Right now, if you have a competitor who's copying you and you're not creating IP, you're just, I don't know, interviewing a bunch of experts in your niche and someone else does that show, very little differentiation, very little identification. You can't white label those things to know who it is. But if someone came along and they sold learning and development tools for teams like Lessonly does, and then they created the show about a show about, I don't know, practice and how important practice is in knowledge-based jobs. Lessonly is like, wait a sec, we've been doing that for a year and a half now. So they have a show called Practice First. That's IP, elevating the role of practice to sales and customer support. I think about all these shows about like family relationships exist. But then along comes uh, Peabody nominee, Juleka Lentigua-Williams, who was a guest on one of my shows. And she creates how to talk to mommy and poppy about anything. And mommy and poppy are in brackets because you could substitute however you say your name, your parents, right? That's IP because it's about speaking directly to the children of immigrant parents about how to speak to your immigrant parents about tough topics. So really IP is about being specific and about being deeper and more focused than most shows. And I see words thrown around like, um, we get real on this show, or you know, we talk to experts about all the things that makes them successful. And I'm like, that's not IP. It's not defensible. You're not actually saying something that matters. So that is the number one thing most people miss. I know you asked for three, but this is, this is one through 17 right now for most marketers, especially is to have an actual premise. And that's like, that's why the course that I built the first ever course, I was like, I don't know. I've never built a course. I'll try it. I was like, what should it be about? It should be about that. So like I called it growable shows because why don't shows grow? It's not the channel that you're placing your show on. That's the problem. It's not the microphone. It's the fact that you haven't built anything growable. You haven't actually built a concept and I, uh, you don't have IP. 
So start there, say something that matters, develop a premise. So that's the first mistake that I make before starting my show. <laughs> <laughs> so already up there. Well, that's why we're going to do a live review later in this episode, right? Yeah, oh, we are. And by the way, nothing is prepared at all. Like we're going to go into this, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go into this completely blind. So uh, let's see um, how that goes. But I, I also felt that in the Help Scout documentary, uh, and a little shout out to Adam Goyet, my former colleague at G2 um, at this point, he's also an amazing marketer. Um, and probably future guests on the show. But so the, the idea of a premise or a clear mission definitely came through in that documentary as well. And so what is your heuristic or maybe formula to think about coming up with a good premise? Yeah. So I think there's, there's several creative exercises that you can use like all stacked together to give yourself direction and effectively move from your, what I would say are rough, but relevant ideas to something that's pithier and more powerful you know, the premise's job is to prompt subscription because you see the idea, whether it's coming through in the name, subheader, tagline, a blog post, a landing page, but you, you, you understand the premise, you consume it, and instantly it's like this lightning bolt to the chest. It's like, yes, that is for me, right? So the premise is what prompts subscription. It provides motivation to subscribe. And, and there's two ways to interpret subscription, clicking buttons and joining lists, sure, or aligning with your beliefs like raising your hand and being like, that's for me. And so, and you're for me. And that's the subscription we really want. And so that's the job of the premise. And to develop that is really difficult. It feels like the afterthought for most shows, but I think it actually does require rigor, even though the output, the like tangible output is more conceptual than it is content. However, it informs all of your content, right? It's like why you should spend time on strategy more so than tactics because it informs all the tactics. But what do we do? We leap to tactics because it feels more tangible. So how do you get to a premise? Lots and lots of exercises you can do, but it's essentially it moves from you feeling frustrated about something or curious about something to you being able to articulate why the audience should then care about that something and probably why they already do, but maybe no one is speaking it out loud or no one is saying, hey, do you see this problem? Like, do you see this as a better solution too? Like, we'd like to get there. The status right. quo is broken. The mountain peak is where we want to go. I don't know how to get to the mountain peak. So join us on a journey as we hack through the jungle towards it. That's what a show is. The hacking through the jungle, the journey towards it. So you, you, there's some exercises, and, and I won't belabor that, but the real specific one is the XY premise pitch. So what you want to get to, like, in other words, the output of all this stuff writing and thinking and speaking and sharing and talking to your audience, figuring out those ideas is the ability to say to the world, this is a show about X, unlike other shows about X, only we, Y. So this is a show about success in sales. Unlike other shows about success in sales, only we seek to elevate the role of practice in our workplace. And how do we do that? Well, we go on a journey to understand how world-class performers practice. We're not going to talk about the career of the Olympian. We're going to talk about the practice routine of the Olympian. That's practice first from Lessonly, right? They have actual IP. So that's what you want to get to. That's a little heuristic, the XY premise pitch. This is a show about X, unlike other shows about X, only we Y. This is a show about topics, unlike other shows about the same topics or other content about it. Only we have this hook. That, that, that's very similar to... The classic positioning statement, right? So it's almost like a positioning exercise in that regards. And what I like about that is that it helps you say yes to certain things, but also no to many other things. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit on Seth Godin's um, who's it for and who is it not for, right? Like a very narrow definition of your audience. Right, right. There's the three classic questions in design thinking, which is, you know, you're designing an experience, you're designing a project for your audience. Who is it for? What is it for? How will we know if it's working? And like you absolutely, you know, I think a very simple exercise for everybody making a show right now, we're really making anything serialized. A newsletter is another good example. It's just how specific can you be while still resonating deeply with the audience? Because that's really what you want to do. It's not like your website where it's everything about you or everything you could cover goes on your domain. That's not what the show is, but it's what it becomes in many brands instances. It's like, this is a show about generically these topics. And sometimes we talk about this subtopic and sometimes that subtopic, and sometimes it's inspirational. And sometimes it's just a list of steps. Like, no, actually you do want to sacrifice most of it to own one thing very specifically and very definitively in the minds of your audience. 
And it's weird how that works sometimes uh, because by shaping out a profile, all of a sudden you sometimes even become attractive for people you didn't immediately target. So it, it just gives you character. And a reason for why I'm so interested and excited about this conversation about podcasts is because one belief that I have is that this actually perfectly also translates to thought leadership content that's written. So I actually think there's not, there's not a huge difference. Sure. There's like some difference in, in terms of being able to bring your character across and, and, and the approachability and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think that's a very good um, approach for written thought leadership content um, in your, in your work with brands um, besides the premise or besides helping them find the right premise, would you, would you say that, the premise should always be very connected to the mission of the company or is, could it be completely apart? Well, it's, it's, what are you trying to change or what are you trying to own in terms of an idea or a concept? And so I think the mission is a great place to start. One of the things I love doing most in, um, the video content I've been doing, some of it went to the course and some of it I'll, I'll publish publicly, but I was doing these like live uh, for lack of a better phrase, I called it a speed round, like a premise development speed round, where I would go to a brand's website, having not done it before, and record myself doing this and try to see, can I come up with the premise for a show that feels like it would prompt subscription based on what I see publicly? And so often I'd be like, homepage, eh, maybe this word over here. Um, product page, eh, nothing really to go on here. Social media, eh, it's kind of a mess of a mess. About page, money. The about page of mission-driven companies, especially, but most like there's some phrase or even the whole damn thing usually is rife with something to turn into a show. Cause it's really like what you're all about, right? It's like the show is this consistent exercise in showing up as promised weekly or bi-weekly or whatever you're doing to say, we're marching forward with a community. We're trying to spark a movement and build momentum around it. And it's not necessarily just we're teaching the tactics if you're B2B of this craft, because everyone does that. It's your belief system manifest and it manifests consistently over time. Where does that belief system live on most corporate websites is the about page. So I found myself there more often. And it was, you know, inside the video in the course that I'm thinking of, I did HubSpot, uh, Lessonly, Ninja RMM, uh, La Coulomb Coffee and bookshop.org. I think there's a couple others, but I it just, I found myself so not surprised by that, but dismayed by that, where the about page had all this copywriting, which to your point, Kevin, could influence their blog, their social, their homepage, like it should have spilled everywhere else. And a very specific example to bring this home was with HubSpot. Um, they have what looks like a decently successful podcast in the growth show, but the growth show generically talks to people about growth stuff. There's plenty of shows like that. The benefit that HubSpot has is basically their hook. It's not the stuff about growth. The hook for that show is HubSpot has a show. And enough people like HubSpot and pay attention to them that people go, oh, cool, I'll listen to it. So what this does is it sends us a false positive your way because it's like if you launched a show in the feed of This American Life, you would get a lot of people listening to it. But I think what you really want is a small number of people reacting in big ways, in a way that you didn't expect, as signal that you've found something. So if you go to HubSpot's like homepage or about page, they talk about growing better. And they have very strong language about it. And the growth show, instead of just interview after interview or idea after idea about how one grows, it should be a journey to uncover how in today's society and modern business world, does a business grow better? And they should say, we don't have the answers, but we're on the hunt for it. And every episode is us taking another swing at the jungle between us and the peak we're marching towards. Join us as we try to figure out what it takes to grow better. That's such a stronger call to action than join us to find out how the best businesses today grow better. Excuse me, grow. Because that's every show about growth. So you want to have that specificity. Maybe I should steal that. <laughs> it's up for the taking if you're all about that. Yeah, it's, it's there. They have not done it. I'm kidding. Or am I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And uh, in, all, in all seriousness, if I was a uh, company and I know my set of competitors and I'm thinking about a podcast that aligns with my, my mission, but also supposed to send out, I could technically go to their about pages and see what their mission is and, and see how I can carve out my niche, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And there, you know, some, some of the competition, it, the examinations of your competition can also tip too far, right? Because I think you can start to react to everybody else. And, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, in my first clubhouse uh, club last night, um, we were talking about podcasting and I was like, basically someone was like hosting a panel and we were chatting about podcasting and um, somebody came on from the audience. They did a Q and a section and they asked us, should I be on clubhouse? I'm worried about clubhouse. Will it replace podcasting? Joe Budden on his podcast said clubhouse is the enemy. Like, Oh my God, clubhouse. And it was like, I don't think architects were super concerned about, wrenches replacing hammers. That's a poor example. I'm not much of a builder, if you can tell. Uh, but like, these are just tools. They're all just tools. And so like, what are you trying to build? And most people don't know. And so what they think they're doing, and I think this actually bifurcates marketing into two different groups. You can be an arbitrage marketer, or you can be an affinity marketer. And an arbitrage marketer has to say, I got to be on Clubhouse early. I got to get in when it's cheap, when my shouting at the world actually brings me some attention, and I'm going to leave as soon as you have to be good at this. Whereas an affinity-based marketer is like, these wonderful tools exist. There's so many of them and more come on the market all the time. And, and I can decide who I'm for, what it's for, and how I'll know it's working. And I can use any of these tools to get there. And if I don't know, I can experiment. But typically, knowing the, the answers to those questions tells me what tools I should use. And the affinity marketer gets to hold their position and be firm in what they own and what they're building. Because these people can build massive brands on the back of print. They can build massive brands on the back of audio, of video. Like The channel to them doesn't actually matter. And they're not paranoid that their podcast is going to go away the moment something like Clubhouse comes along. Because they're building based on affinity. So people are like, yeah, I know Clubhouse exists. And sure, I'm over there. But I'm still going to listen to Kevin's pod because that's my favorite show. Right. And so, if that's not your goal, be their favorite. What is your goal? Probably, and you should just admit it to yourself, you're here to arbitrage a quick opportunity. So, just admit what you are and then exist that way. So, to this person in, club, in Clubhouse, I almost wanted to say, like, it sounds like based on your question that, yeah, you need to be on, on Clubhouse immediately and then leave once you have to be creative here. Right. Cause it sounded like he was worried about Clubhouse replacing their show, which told me they weren't building a show worth anyone's time and emotional investment. Right, they weren't trying to be their favorite show. That's the goal if you're an affinity-based marketer. That's so powerful and such a good emphasis of of your definition and connotation with uh, intellectual property or the idea of a business mode. And that's a very good segue into my next question, which is how much does personality influence that? Um, I think my my understanding, my my kind of uh, um, ignorant beginner's understanding is that that personality definitely has a big impact. But how much does it have an impact? Can somebody with a great personality make a great show about almost anything, or is, are there ways to maybe brush up your personality a little bit, or maybe even mistakes to avoid? So when when you say personality, I'm assuming based on the the way you phrase the question that um, some of some of what you're implying is somebody who is charming and outgoing, maybe clever and creative and, and uh, or creative is not a good word, but um, let's say uh, funny, right? So like the classic, maybe American understanding of what having a quote unquote, great personality is. The right. thing is we all have personalities and the real key is to build a podcast, the infrastructure of the show, the apparatus, if you will, to bring out the best in you and give you new abilities. So the best analogy I can give you is when you build a show, audio or video or both, what you're essentially doing is building the talents Iron Man suit. Like Tony Stark, charming, very rich. Uh, he, you send him out to battle, however, and he's getting whacked. But once he steps into the Iron Man suit, he knows he has all these parts and pieces built uniquely to accentuate his best and give him superpowers he didn't have before. That's what a show should be when you actually develop it. But most shows are not developed. So most people are stepping into a type of show, let's say the monologue, the co-hosted show, the chat cast, or the interview show. They're stepping into these obvious common types of shows, these obvious vehicles or suits, if you will, that are actually built for personalities different than them. I won't say better, different than them. Because if you're just purely curious, but you're subdued, maybe you need to go make a show that is more like James Andrew Miller, Origins. Origins is the name of his show. He, he appears very rarely, 
And it's all about the answers the guests give. But if you're really excitable, maybe it's more like a chat cast or something. So a show just combines that personality or what you can call talent with two other things, the premise, which we've touched on, and then the format, which is the structuring of the episode, the plan you have for the typical episode. Uh, In the TV world, they call it a rundown. And when you have a premise and you have a rundown, you can mold that to who your host will be. So I think what you need to do, Kevin, is bring out the best in your personality and construct the show to do that, leaning into who you are more so and not trying to be someone else. And to do that, you actually have to develop the format and the premise. So you have to, sh- you have to be in the show development business, not the, uh, say, charm business. Very helpful. Very helpful. And I want to fast forward a little bit where... I think right now we spoke a lot about the beginnings of a show or maybe even the, you know, uh, the, the pre-production before you even launched the show, the things that you should uh, take into consideration. But I'm also curious, what does it look like when you have an established podcast that has maybe already run for, say, two to three years, has built a sizable audience and is now looking for the next way to increase that audience, grow that audience, engage better with with the audience, almost comparable to, to like, how would you grow a company that's already has matured? How do you think about that? I think about trying to avoid the need for big pivots, pivots first, um, right? Trying to constantly reinvent in the minutiae, in the tiny, in the micro, that really does matter. Uh, that's why a rundown is so important because you can actually reinvent with purpose. You can see, you know, B block is this thing that we do, or, Hey, we have a lightning round at the end and ah, everyone has a lightning round and we're really not really not doing anything to send people away feeling inspired. So maybe they forget about us, or maybe they don't feel like impelled to tell or compelled to tell their friends about the show. So we're not growing through word of mouth. So let's rip out the last block, the lightning round. Let's change it to the rally cry. How do we come up with something pithy and insightful, maybe scored with music that really gets people feeling motivated, not only because they'll remember us and come back, but they'll share the show, right? So I wouldn't know to do that if I didn't know what the last block was actually for. So rundowns actually let you reinvent in the micro all the time, which is important. So that's one thing is you need to avoid that pivot. You know, I think the other thing is, is, is we undervalue in this world of tech-driven everything and analytics and, and giant numbers, we undervalue the power of five, call it five, three maybe, conversations with people who like your stuff. That's it. Like, Why do they like your stuff? Or better yet, act like a product manager. Own the problem they're going through and how it's still, even though you're doing your show, it's still not being met. Right. Tell me about your day, Kevin. Like, What are you going through? Um, okay. So you say you like our show about making shows. I love that. Are you making a show? Oh no, why not? Like that's actually something I uncovered talking to our audience. We have a lot of people, I'd say more than half, who listen to three clips because they love creativity. They do appreciate podcasting. Um, maybe they think about marketing too, but they themselves don't have a show. And you start talking to them, and it's like, oh, it's you know, it actually has nothing to do with technical holdups or budgetary reasons or all these things I would have probably addressed if you just told me. They don't have a show. The reason they don't have a show is they feel imposter syndrome. So actually, we should address that, right? And there's going to give new life to the show, and it's going to bring more people our way because we didn't address that before. And so three to five conversations is really all you need to kickstart that investigation, really, into how you should reinvent your show. Unfortunately, what we tend to do is we want to do these things from the comfort of our chair without talking to other humans to figure out who is blogged about a sneaky growth hack to grow our podcast because we've plateaued. The problem is we're making our goals the metrics. The metrics are how you measure your goal. So if your goal is to help people find and share their voices and make better podcasts, as it is with three clips for our show, well, one way, yeah, we measure that maybe in part through downloads, but a far better way to achieve that goal is to go and talk to some people. You don't need to figure out a clever place to put a link to your show to juice the download totals. You need to figure out how to get back to the goal, which is serving people, making a difference for them. So I know it's, you got me on my soapbox here. And the reason I have this tone in all my answers is because what I've found is like our industry is hurting our cause because everybody makes it out to feel sneakier and more tech-driven and more clever than it needs to be. And this stuff can't actually be really simple and human-centric. It's just that we feel like maybe it doesn't actually happen that way. Because look, all these smart people are talking about these complex things. 
it doesn't have to be that. Yeah, no, I, I, I love your passion behind this because I think it's so aligned with your, your, with your mission, right? And with what you set out to do. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a soul box at all. I think it's, <laughs> it's just you being very passionate about that. And I, I'm just, I, I'm trying not to rant and all these subjects. I'm like, oh, I need to rant against that. I have no problem with you ranting because uh, <laughs> there's so much I can learn from that, to be honest. Um, speaking of learning, um, I don't want to make this a lightning round, but there are a couple of smaller questions that I'm very curious about. Yeah, I'll be quick. But you already mentioned um, metrics. What metrics and KPIs do you look at to evaluate the success of your shows or of the companies you work with? Um, so if it doesn't have an acronym, apparently it doesn't exist as a metric in the minds of most marketers. So I invented <laughs> one. I call it URR, unsolicited response rate. So if I'm asking people like, this is what I, I have a problem with people at the end of like a YouTube video being like, well, what do you think? Who is going to be the secret new guest in Marvel's latest TV show? Leave a comment below. That person saying it doesn't actually care about what you think. They just want to game the algorithm, right? If you send an email to a bunch of people saying, can you share this? Or if you at mention a bunch of people on LinkedIn, so you pull them in towards you and they're like compelled, they feel obligated to comment or like or share. You're getting all these false positives. You're actually cluttering your view. And what I actually want to know is if I, uh, what with, you know, you mentioned Seth Godin before, he talks about merely doing the work. If I merely publish an episode of three clips or my other show, Unthinkable, and people spend 40 to 45 minutes with it, and I never hear from them ever, now it might have happened the first episode. It might, you might need some patience here. I'm doing something wrong. And so what I want to know is, did people invest? I invested in this content. So did they invest in our relationship back? And when you invest in a relationship, you're investing time and you're also investing your reputation. And so publicly, if someone posts, hey, I need to shout out Jay for his newsletter. And here's a couple paragraphs. That person has invested a lot of time because they wrote several paragraphs from scratch and a lot of reputation because they didn't just share something quickly of mine. They wrote an original thing and linked to it. So that comment is worth way more in my mind to the relationship than someone who hits retweet, which is a little bit more valuable than someone who hits like, right? So um, for a time, I tried to track this and it was a disaster. I tried to actually put it in a spreadsheet and be like, Kevin, and here's all the different types of interactions and let's score them. Uh, but I just broke down. So, it's, so right now it's just gut feel and just being aware and participatory in my community. So I'm looking for the unsolicited responses, <clears throat> the level of friction you went through to say something nice about my work publicly to ensure I'm on the right path. And then on the back end, I ask how you found us, right? So if you bought my course or you bought my workshop, um, I want to know what projects you're actually engaged with and, and maybe the one you came in through first as well. And that's it. That seems to be enough for the style business that I'm building. I think there's definitely something interesting with the URR metric. Because I noticed that in some of the content that I wrote as well, where people all of a sudden would write me these super long emails and start these conversations. And I love that, right? It's, uh, it was unforeseen surprise. But uh, I think there's something there. And I hope that soon there will be some sort of tool that allows you to measure that. I hope so. You know, the other thing too is three clips, my show about podcasting is super small compared to anything else I do. And yet the caliber of those people is incredibly high. And the only reason I know that is they are saying stuff. Like a woman from Discovery tweeted, I am mainlining this podcast. I can't believe it's free. Or like Kristen LaFrance from Shopify, who's more in like our tribe, runs their podcast, Resilient Retail, and like will shoot me a DM once in a while about an episode or say something publicly. Or, I'll, or someone will ask about shows and she'll respond. That's another way is when people are like, what podcasts are you li listening to lately? Marketing Twitter, I, other people, I want other people to mention me in that conversation, right? I don't want to jump in and be like, um, Kevin's show. And then this other show, and then three clips, just saying, I know it's my show, right? Like, I don't want to do that. It feels icky. I want someone else to do it for me. Um, and that signal that if they're doing that, you know, who are they? I can look at, but also it's unsolicited responses. So it has like a, if I, if I were able to track this, I am confident the dollars being driven per subscriber to the show is way higher than some other shows that have a high download count, but they're really not able to turn that into revenue. So that's what I'm going for with like that show. It's premium level, super engaged and prone to act. But you hinted at a very important and interesting point 
which is that we don't have the tools today to track that kind of engagement or unsolicited um, promotion or acceleration. And at the same time, we also don't have good tools to understand our audience better simply, you know, from, from Spotify, Anchor, um, uh, or SoundCloud or wherever you host. But speaking of tools, what tools do you use to, and I'm asking this because I know I'm going to get that question anyway. Uh, what tools do you use to, to, to edit and record your podcast? Yeah. Um, I'm a believer that you pick the one that seemed within your budget when you started, you master that tool. And unless you're forced to never look at tools ever again. Like, unless it's like uh, you're using like super old school technology and it's like you literally have no functionality anymore because you just clung to it forever. So I haven't looked into say all these awesome podcast software that I know exists. I haven't looked at because when I started, I was like, I had $0. Um, GarageBand is free. I'll use GarageBand. And, and I, for some audio files, that's a bit like saying to a designer, I design in PowerPoint. Um, and so, but it works for me. And if you listen to my shows, I feel like no one notices, no one can, I could be Pro Tools, it could be Descript, it could be GarageBand. So I, I record into GarageBand. Um, the tech stack I use is the same as when I started my first podcast for the venture capital firm NextView, where I worked for a few years. When I was there at NextView, I had a small budget to buy some tech. So I got a Shure SM58 mic, making sure to get both the windscreen and the pop filter because I'm a very breathy, loud talker. Um, I plug it. I run it through uh, an Alesis Multimix 4, which is a little bit too much power than I even really need. I could go to a USB directly, but I like the controls with the gain. It's really helpful for recording video. I can move my mic back and, and sit at a distance and control the sensitivity of my mic better than if it's just through to USB. So I run the Alesis Multimix into my laptop and then I record through uh, GarageBand if it's voiceover and all my editing happens there anyway. And Squadcast if it's a guest, because I love seeing on video who they are. My advice to everybody out there is to avoid Zoom and Skype and anything that's voiceover IP because you get more hiccups and you also aren't able to separate the voice tracks. Squadcast, Zencaster, Riverside, these tools record locally for each guest and then sync to your Dropbox or wherever when you're finished. So you get two separate tracks, which is an editor's dream. And you also avoid any hiccups. So if your internet is weird, you know, all these problems, you know, I laughed and now all of a sudden it's garbled. And so the edit is messed up. Um, you know, that, that's avoided with tools meant specifically for high quality audio and not like video with an audio component. Yeah. Thanks for entertaining me there. Yeah. Um, and the last question that I have before we jump into the coaching round, also something that you alluded to before, and that's the podcast that, that you listen to. So, you know, question back to you, what's not only the, what, what do you listen to on a regular basis, but also what do you find very creative and interesting and what stands out in your mind? For sure. Um, because I listen to so many shows for three clips, I'm constantly discovering new shows. So if you want to know what I'm listening to, it's probably whatever episodes have recently come out of three clips because I'm having to dive into those shows to deconstruct them with the hosts or the producers when they come onto the program. So my, my listening habits are being warped by my work a little bit. But shows I listen to just to escape, Radiolab, uh, I do, I've been a fan of them of theirs for a long, long time. Um, I recently got back into The Moment from Brian Koppelman, deeper conversations about creativity. Uh, I really like Mike Birbiglia, the comedian. So I, I listen to Working It Out, which is his show about working out comedic material. Um, I'm a huge Scrubs fan. That's a fun fact about me. My, one of my favorite shows ever. So I love the rewatch podcast, uh, fake doctors, real fr friends with two of the stars, although they're starting to get away from the actual show rewatch, which I don't, I don't love as much. I think that's a, that's a good amount. You know, I appreciate what Seth Godin is doing with Akimbo. I think it's interesting to hear how he turns his style into a podcast because it's very atypical for most podcasts. And I don't think I've mentioned reply all or binge mode, but those are two that I never miss an episode. So reply all very narrative style show about the internet. Great great research. I don't believe, I can't believe where they find these stories. It's like an amazing production that they have over there. So I love reply all from Gimlet and then binge mode from the ringer. They're currently doing the Marvel movies. They're hysterical. They're also respectful of the creative craft, which I appreciate. So I love those shows too. Yeah. And I'm all with you when it comes to scrubs, one of my favorite childhood shows. Nice. Sec breath. So good. Uh, but thanks for entertaining that. Uh, yeah, Jay, no I really problem. appreciate it. And, and thanks for even offering this kind of uh, type of coaching or helping me kind of uh, find a slight pivot for my show. So just to give a bit of context, I set out um, to start TechBound, um, which is what, what the show is called, as an extension to my newsletter. 
and uh, that newsletter has recently pivoted. So newsletter was was more about um, was very SEO focused, um, and it was an essay style where instead of like just curating news, uh, it, it would kind of it was like a, a commentary or an essay about something that was relevant in SEO today. And uh, TechBound started as an extension to that, and then quickly ventured into or beyond SEO. And so I have I faced two challenges. Um, one, one is kind of the format because I, I, I do love and appreciate the interviews and learn so much from them, which is why I actually started, started this, you know, like I, I, I had these conversations as I am having it with you right now at, at conferences. And I was like, why don't I record this? Yeah. And then I started to just do it. And that was very helpful. Um, but so it's, it's still, there's no premise behind the interviews. It's just really good conversations. And then the the second piece is the the format. I find the format. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it seems a little bit inconsistent. And I wonder if maybe a uh, co-host would make a lot of sense, who allows me to then you know uh, have more. Uh, I think you call them chat casts or chatter casts or just mm-hmm. like more episodes without even external guests. And then sometimes bring somebody in when it fits into the context. And I think that would just allow me to, or would allow the show to stand out a bit more. Uh, and, and become a bit more interesting. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, about your thoughts and, and what you would recommend me to do. So, I mean, one of the first things I would ask is we have to separate shows that are for self-expression alone, practice only, self-expression only, side project only, and shows that are meant to serve the audience. And there's a pretty heavy overlap today of both of those things, but inevitably one leads and it lets you answer a very simple question. When you're trying something completely crazy or you decide to take a break, do you have to explain it to anybody else or do you not care about the ramifications of that? So that's kind of how I judge like unthinkable, my podcast that's kind of like it's been around for four years. Uh, I have a small, passionate audience there and they know it's kind of my playground and it does have a through line to it, but I move it around a lot. And so I don't really feel the need to like apologize if I go away or... Uh, you know, hey, I'm going to try something crazy today and it might not work because they know the whole show is me saying basically implied it might not work. But three clips, it's for my business. It's teaching podcasting because I have a podcast course and workshops and, uh, and a sponsor that expects me to be there every week along with the listeners. So I can't just necessarily like try something crazy and out of left field without explaining it, at least in the context of what I'm trying to do overall on the show. So I'd ask you that first, is this purely self-expression and maybe use that heuristic if you're not sure, or is this actually supporting something else in service of the audience? That's actually such a good question. Uh, so you're already worth your money. Uh, I have to pay you later for this, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, and, and I think that's exactly the point. I, th- I think right now it's a lot more self-expression. I want to move it to something um, that is more in service of the audience. Great. Okay. Let's start there. I mentioned before, it's a great place to start for premise development. It's a great place to start for idea generation, your frustration um, on behalf of the audience you're trying to serve. So um, thinking about the industry and thinking about, you know, it could be tech, it could be SEOs. I'm not sure exactly who you're trying to serve at the show. Um, when you think about that, first is the premise, then is the format. Because otherwise you're formatting something without knowing why you're formatting it that way. And so it becomes the most interesting general show out there. Like that's fine, but it's not as powerful as the premise. And the way we explore that premise is we have these five segments or we tell stories, but the stories have a structure you can't see as the listener, but I know it's there. Um, So let's start there. Premise. What are you actually frustrated about? Like, what would you like to explore more deeply that you think is underexplored? Um, So the, the, the focus point is more growth in the sense of growth marketing. And I'm saying that because an experience that I made is that SEO is not what it used to be. And I think that SEO moves more towards a growth model where you, instead of saying, I have this blueprint of what an SEO strategy should look like, you have a set of assumptions and you test them with a scientific method. I think that's a big pivotal shift that is not, um, that a lot of people feel, but is not explicit right now. And that brings a whole new set of challenges and uh, tools and and mindsets. But th- at the same time, I'm, I'm, the goal is not just to target um, SEOs. The goal is to target anybody who 
is working on growth in the constraints of product and marketing, right? So basically growth in the kind of in the kind of traditional sense. And so the big challenge or the big problem is basically uncertainty, which is also a core staple of uh, of SEO. But the, the problem is the following is we have good assumptions. We don't know if this is going to work. So we're going to use the scientific method to figure out the truth. And again, I'm coming from the SEO angle traditionally, but my goal is not to just uh, target SEOs. My goal is to try to target anybody working in growth, which can okay. be SEOs, but also directly paid marketers. So, so that's the backdrop to the show, um, which I, I appreciate. In that realm, what are you annoyed at? What's broken? What's a common assumption that people are getting wrong? Um, I think it is that you can come with a, a cookie cutter approach to marketing or to growth, or that you can come with, uh, with assumptions that are always well valid to growth. Um, and I think it's, or maybe I'll leave it there, but I'll explain the context. Okay. Eventually that's cool. much. So where you want to get to is, um, if you can't get to a really, really specific idea, it's like, mm, it's this, I know it. Um, one either, uh, take my course, <laughs> please pay me. Um, it's hard being an independent. I used to do a lot of public speaking and then COVID came along. So I'm like, I'm feeling very financially insecure right now. So I apologize <laughs> if I've mentioned my course too many times because I'm like, uh, good God, do I stay independent? Anyways, um, you can leave that in. The, the question is, can you get to the specific premise or if it really is elusive and you, you just kind of have this vague sense that something is amiss and something is broken, then your hook is more of a quest. Right, like, which I think there's several types of hooks, and one is a quest. We're on a journey to uncover X, to fix X, to get towards that destination in the future, and we don't know how to get there to make things better. We're on this quest together, and then you start using your episodes to ask the questions that you genuinely don't know the answers to, but would like to. So, an example is: let's say your frustration at the industry stops there. It's like we're we're uh, we're bad at the assumptions part. We're bad at the hypothesis part. We're bad at the beginning parts of the scientific method. Okay. So like the easy question is why? And if you can package that into an episode, great. That's the first episode of the new version of the show. And then you find new questions through doing that episode that become the, the next episode. But you might come up with other specific questions. Like I'm, I'm thinking of taking unthinkable and turning the next run of episodes into this journey to uncover why people who have the right mentality don't ship more and better work. Like people took my workshops over the summer last year and some people made a show and some people still didn't. And it's like, why? And it was pretty stark to me. It's like, why would you pay money to not make something? What your peers made something in this course. Why didn't you? Right. So it's like, why don't we ship? All right. So maybe the first episode is why don't we ship? Or the first episode is like, why, why do we feel imposter syndrome? Um, you know, I don't know. So you're on this quest now. If you're if it's just this vague sense something is amiss, now you position the show as a quest, and that's the premise. Or you're like, I know exactly the problem, or think I do. Um, and I'm gonna go on the hunt to figure this out. To me, in my world, that's three clips. Three clips is I'm very much like, we all think creativity means do something big. We all think you have to have the gift and the charm or whatever. We disassociate from our heroes. No, creativity happens consistently in the minutia. It's practice. The problem is we can't see it in those we admire. So on three clips, we have the podcasters we admire take us inside their process piece by tiny piece, the stuff you don't normally see. Why? Because sometimes it's fun, sure. But mostly I want you to be like, oh, all these things didn't cost a ton of money. All these things happen in the day-to-day. -day. I can go make a great show too. So I knew specifically what the premise was going to be for that show. So I think that's where you're at right now, Kevin. And I don't know if we're going to answer it today, but maybe figure out, are, am I on a quest to figure out the problems in our scientific method? And I don't really know the pithy premise, but it becomes clear over time. Or can I get to that one specific diagnosis or at least my hypothesis for the diagnosis? And I'm going to own that in the market. I love that. And, and I think that gives me some fantastic homework uh, to, to ponder about. And I, I also feel like that you, you gave me so many next steps actually before we even jumped to the coaching <laughs> part. <laughs> you know, I can, I can just listen to that again and, uh, um, and walk through the whole exercise. Um, real quick, can you, can you uh, tell me about your course uh, and what's in there? Sure. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Thank you for letting me talk about it. Uh, 
it's called growable shows. And the whole idea is that the big missing piece is the premise. The premise informs your format. It informs your talent. It informs your marketing. It's just so consequential to the success of your show. And most people skip the show development process part that matters most, which is premise development. And so really it's an idea development course meant to focus on a podcast or a video show. And I think a lot of these, these heuristics can apply elsewhere. And the thing I was trying to be hypersensitive to, and I'd be curious if anybody winds up in the course, if I did this or not, um, is how to make a course that isn't just watching a bunch of videos and hiding from actually doing the work, but a course focused on like actually doing the work. So what I, what I try to make clear is like, how long will the course last? Well, if you just watch the 10 videos inside of it, it won't last very long at all. But if you actually do the work, like you might finish the third module a month or two after the second by design, because you're supposed to go away and do some things and learn some stuff and come back. But if you think about idea development, not as the process of finding ideas, but the process of building ideas, because I think great ideas are built, not found. That's really what the course is about. Is like, how do we use all the tools we have at our disposal today, which are free or cheap or obvious because we're marketers and we play on these tools to actually build towards a, an idea that can support a whole premise, which is the point because that's what prompts subscription. That's what does the growing. So yes, you want your show to grow, but the first step is to make something growable. So let's start there. I love that. So everybody, listen up if you uh, are in the same situation as me or you're thinking about running a podcast or starting a <laughs> podcast, go over to Global Shows, uh, check check that out. I think you got a really good taste right now. Um, and uh, it's it, it's it sounds very much worth your money. Uh, I, I appreciate that. It's just, it's at the top of marketingshowrunners.com. There's a big workshops link and you can find the link to the course there. Love it. And while we're at it, um, Jay, where else can people find you and follow you? Just jayaconzo.com or marketingshowrunners.com. And uh, anywhere the internet is, I'm pretty much there. I'm maybe not active there, but Twitter and Instagram, if you, if you would like to chat or you have questions, um, I'm pretty responsive. My, my goal is to teach, not hide things behind a paywall and be like, nope, you can't ask me questions unless you buy my course. So if there's anything that struck you here in this conversation, um, shoot me a message on Twitter uh, and let's chat. And uh, you know, my, my mission is to help more people find their voices and make, make stuff that makes a difference. And so I'm trying to do that in several places and I'm pretty responsive everywhere I am. And don't forget to give Jay an unsolicited, uh, response to drive his metrics. Up. Oh, you ruined, oh, you ruined it. Now it's solicited. <laughs> now ah, it's no. solicited. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show and, uh, coming on the show, Jay, this was a, a treat and, uh, you know, my, my head is full of ideas right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just want to, I want to say a big thank you. Thank you. Three, two, one.